Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have someone that has done something remarkable, which is bootstrapping from nothing to 250 million. So uh, quite an accomplishment. So we're going to be learning a lot about building, scaling uh, companies, also about financing and then also venture capitalists versus private equity firms. Uh, and, and, and also about building super strategic relationships with larger players. So I guess without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest today to the show, Sanjay Shah. Welcome to the Dealmaker Show today. Thank you. Happy to be here. So originally, Sanjay, you were born in Mumbai, uh, India. So how was life there? Yeah. Um, you know, I was uh, living in a, a form of a bubble. Uh, my extended, all of my family and extended family lived uh, in a one mile radius. So uh, grew up in a, in a, you know, you know, very close family, both literally and figuratively. I also went to college right there. And my college also happened to be a mile away from where I lived. So life was great. Very cool. Very cool. And and why did you decide to come to the U.S.? Uh, because I, I believe that it was business school. Is that right? Yes, that's right. You know, like I said, I was living in a bit of a, of a bubble, right? Everything was uh, very hunky-dory. Uh, my, my world was uh, within uh, a one-mile radius. <laughs> and so I decided to explore and, uh, you know, business school, uh, of course, you know, business school in, in the U.S. is a draw for uh, a lot of uh, aspirants. And um, I, I succumbed to that, uh, uh, succumbed to the uh, um, draw, if you will, and uh, decided to, um, uh, you know, come 10,000 miles away to go to business school. Very cool. And then PricewaterhouseCoopers. Yes. So uh, I come from a family of uh, traders and accountants. So, you know, accounting runs in our blood. That's uh, the degree I had. I, I got an MBA in finance. And then, you know, the logical progression was to work in accounting. And so I ended up uh, um, taking a, a job with Pricewaterhouse as a staff auditor right after I graduated uh, my from, from grad school. And I lasted a full six months and decided that, uh, you know, I didn't want to be a professional accountant. So, uh, you know, one thing that is saying, uh, even though you didn't want it to be a professional accountant, I'm sure that really having a good grasp on the numbers has made a difference for you. 
Absolutely. As a uh, as as a business owner that uh, you know helps you and serves you in good stead, right? And and never hurts to be uh, fluent with numbers. Yeah, I mean, you hear all these uh, nightmare stories of startups that are doing very well, but they're not able to really uh, project or 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 manage the cash flows and the and their budgets accordingly. And you know, overnight, you know, they literally go you know belly up. Correct. Exactly. Especially if you intend to bootstrap. I think uh, you have to have uh, a good accounting streak in you. Absolutely. And we'll talk about your bootstrapping experience in, in just a little bit. So right after Pricewaterhouse, you went to General Motors and, and yes. you went to, to Canada. Why, why Canada? That's right. You know, I really wanted to get some operational experience, uh, uh, actually work on the operational side of things, you know, call it operations, supply chain. Um, you know, different terms. Uh, supply chain is, is a more recent term, if you will. Back then, it was uh, operations. And so, you know, having a degree in finance and, uh, you know, having work experience in accounting is not exactly, um, uh, you know, something that would uh, uh, that, that would draw potential employers for an operations position. Uh, and so uh, General Motors in, in Canada was uh, willing to wager a bet on me. And, you know, I was changing uh, my, my disciplines significantly. And, um, they decided to hire me, but they said the uh, the only position we have open for in operations is in Canada, and I said I'll take it. And for how long were you there? I was there for uh, roughly, I would say, two and a half years. So, what was your biggest learning or lesson from working with them? I think it uh, it got me a chance to to be on the, on the shop floor, if you will, um, and and to really see how things are built and put together right from um uh, you know you you i guess you spend time in classroom learning about things but spending time on on the shop floor learning how how actually uh, you know uh, products are put together how they are transported how the logistics works in terms of the distribution networks of large companies uh, i think getting getting that first hand experience was critical and of course i you know i joined um at, at a, uh, you know, in, in an analyst position, which meant, uh, you know, uh, I, I was able to get close to the shop floor. And then after this, you join probably one of the companies that has had the, the major, the, the major, you know, or probably the biggest impact in, in you as, a, as an employee and, and also as a founder, SAP. So, so tell us about this. Yeah. So, you know, of course, uh, at General Motors, we were, um, you know, uh, one of the first uh, companies to actually use what's called MRP, materials requirements planning, and and so on, like the the, the first type of uh, software in, in 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 supply chain that um, um, you know uh, the first of its kind back back then, um, and so you know I was introduced to software uh, quite early on. You know people used to have only accounting software back back then, but uh, you know, MRP was the first type of software that was used by large companies. And then that's how I came to learn of SAP. And SAP was then making a foray into the U.S., into North America, right? A German software company that had been around for a few years, like 20 years already by the time they came to North America. And um, I was really fascinated and intrigued by the software. Um, and... Um, uh, thought, wow! I mean, this is this is pretty cool, and that's how I ended up uh, working for them. And now, obviously, you know, you have them as as a strategic partner, so so obviously the relationship is there, and 
And and I guess the um, you know what 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 were some of your biggest takeaways? You know, because now obviously you have your own company, but I think that being able to work with such a massive player and really understanding the dynamics and how they worked and things like that, I'm sure that you know many of those lessons you've applied it to to how you've built and scaled your own business. Correct, correct, indeed. So uh, you know, working with, with with SAP, such a gigantic organization, um, you know, has has its set of challenges, and you know, there have been several lessons learned. Uh, fortunately, I had a view from the inside as well. You know, having been you know one of the earliest employees uh, of, of SAP, so that helped definitely. But uh, even despite that, you know, there are enough challenges when you're working with an organization the size of SAP. Because how big was the business when you joined them? Uh, the difference is again. I mean, you know, it's uh, it, it's a massive organization. It's uh, it's also massively matrixed, right? There are so there are so many different stakeholders, right? It's, there's not always just one decision maker in such a large company, uh, especially when we rely on them as our go-to-market partner. Um, there are so many constituencies, both from a product standpoint, from a technology standpoint, and from a go-to-market standpoint. Um, there are so many different constituencies uh, at SAPs to you know kind of find the right balance to bring all of these together, you know, for them to cheer for you, right? You need to find cheerleaders um, yeah. in an organization such as SAP if you want to rely on them to be your go-to-market partner. So again, finding the cheerleaders for you is is a huge challenge, um, and then um, you know to ensure that they continue to see value you know, as, as they expand their portfolio of products. So here you are in 1999. So you've been with SAP for, let's say, six years. Six years, and, yep. And then all of a sudden, the idea of um, of perhaps starting your own business, you know, really starts to become more tangible and have more color. So walk us through the process on on, on how did you come up with this idea and, and, and basically how did you incubate it all, all the way to, to fruition? Yeah, I would, you know, I would, I, I would love to say that I came up with this fantastic idea and I had this great vision and so on. But the reality is that, uh, you know, I was a company loyalist. I was an SAP loyalist. I, uh, you know, had. Uh, I, I also spent time uh, working for SAP at their headquarters in Germany in R and D for a couple of years of my, you know, six-year journey with them. And I actually presented uh, a couple of ideas to, you know, to my development management and uh, said that, you know, we should enhance SAP to perform these functions. At uh, which point they said, uh, yeah, you know, if, if you'd like to do it, you can do it. But, um, you know, you have our R&D is in Germany and you'll have to do it here. And I wanted to move back to the U.S. My family wanted to move back to the U.S. So... Something struck me, and I said, uh, "Well, you know, no, I I can't do it here. How about if I move to the U.S. and uh, and and then develop it by myself? And if it works, you help me take it to market." Um, so I'm kind of an entrepreneur by accident, if you will, because if they had said yes, you you know you you can develop it uh, even while you are in the U.S., I probably might have still been with SAP. Got it. So then, so then, tell us after this presentation, then you know you speak with your wife or with your family and, and you start yep. to think about the idea of, of really going at it and, and what was going on through your mind? Yeah, which is interesting. You know, my, when, when I decided to, to, to you know, kind of sever uh, my, my, my ties with SAP, my wife was uh, six months pregnant with, my second with our second child. Wow. So, 
she was a little consumed, let's just say that. <laughs> I did have a word with her and she thought I'd lost my mind because uh, as you can imagine, as being one of the first employees of SAP, I had a very good um, package with them, if you will, including some stupendous stock options, yeah. which I would have to uh, you know, uh, get rid of or, or, or liquidate, if you will. It turns out that it was a great time to liquidate my stock options because I did that in 99, just before the big crash the following year. <laughs> so, so re really interesting here. So then, so then what happens, you know, after you make the decision, you know, you and your wife are aligned, what, 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 what were the immediate steps to really bring this to life? So, so what happened after that was, um, you know, um, because uh, I was uh, a very marketable resource at SAP, right? I was, I, I used to, I, I helped start what is called, uh, you know, the highest echelon of professional services at SAP. They used to call that Platinum Consulting, where we go and, you know, help troubled SAP projects across the globe. And I was, uh, you know, one of the spearheads of that. So I was a very marketable resource. So I said to myself, right, if I, if, if, if I worked the first shift, you know, selling my services, then I'll be able to use that funding to, to develop what I need to develop on the second and third shift. And so that's how I was able to, to bootstrap. Mm. So then what were some of the, um, I mean, did you, did you recruit other people? Like, like talking about bootstrapping and especially the early days. So who were the initial people that you got you know, around you to really help you? Right. So initially, I mean, for, for the first year and a little over a year, it was just me by myself. Okay, because what was essentially the idea, so that people, you know, listening get it? Yeah, I mean, the the idea was to, uh, you know, write, uh, you know, these uh, uh, write the software to address some functions that uh, were not uh, adequately addressed in ERP systems, and 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 to this day, you know, continue not to be addressed adequately in ERP system. That's what explains our existence and our success. Um, my idea was, you know, for me to start it, and then depending on how it goes, and once, you know, I would I would get my first couple of accounts, then you know, think about bringing on additional folks. So, so for the people that are listening, so since since my my consulting business was doing well in shift one, I was able to, uh, you know, uh, secure some 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 dollars, right, to self fund my first hires. So I hired, you know, three or four resources in the in in the year two thousand. So. So, what were these people that you to, that you hired? So, I, I hired people that um, you know who had the, the technical skills to you know to help me uh, write the software. Sanjay, so in terms of the the early employees that you got, I mean, those were engineers, or what were some of these people? Because you were saying that this was yes, they were they were engineers, they were engineers, and uh, you know my uh, my my first two hires. Are still with me. Very nice. They're still with the company. Very nice. And and what were some of the early days like then? So at what point, uh, you know, going back to what you were saying that you were like bootstrapping this and doing a couple more shifts that the one that you that 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 what you used to do. So then, at what point do you say now I can finally jump on this full time? Yeah. So I think you know uh, in in two thousand and one uh, was able to uh, you know land. Our, our first customers, if you will. So we were able to land uh, a couple of accounts in the year 2001. And I think that's that's when I felt that, um, you know, uh, that we were onto something. 
and and that's when I decided to expand, you know, the uh, the hiring for the for the organization. So Sanjay, so what is what is the way you know that you guys make money with this? How do you guys monetize? Yeah, like I said, you know, we have three distinct revenue streams. We license our software. Uh, then there is annual maintenance tied with it, and then um, we also have professional services for our software to implement our software. So those are the revenue streams for us. Got it. So obviously you guys were uh, bootstrapping this. So what kind of challenges were you guys really dealing with? Again, like I said, uh, you know, the, uh, our first challenge was, uh, you know, when when the dot com crash came up, right? It's, it's basically the appetite for companies to spend on uh, enterprise software took a nosedive in 2001-2002, the first challenge. Um, uh, and and in, in general, I mean, when you're bootstrapped, right, you're, you're going to be uh, very uh, stingy, if you will, with your marketing budgets and your sales budgets. You know, we didn't have any salespeople on board, so we were, you know, engineers doing all of the selling ourselves. So, um, you know, those, those are the challenges, right? Uh, you know, we don't have venture funding or engine funding to, uh, you know, go launch ourselves in a big fashion, you know, to, to let the world know that we are out there. And why did you uh, go about bootstrapping rather than perhaps taking a look at financing the operation? Again, you know, you know some of it was a, a bit of craziness, I guess. Uh, some of it was just, uh, you know, this level of fierce independence we wanted to have that, hey, I think we can, we can you know, we, we can pull this off. Uh, because, uh, like I said, you know, our what what we did during the day was highly marketable, right? I was I was able to sell my you know sell my services and sell, sell my time, um, and and that gave me the funding I needed to do what I wanted to do. I mean, not funding for everything, but uh, you know, it's just really uh, it was an atypical path, right? But uh, you know, there was fun in that challenge as well. Got it. And what were some of the uh, things that because I mean, you obviously scaled this up to 250 million before you accepted external financing. So how was that, you know, process? Like, how did you, how was the growth of revenue over time during those years? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm, um, uh, I'm happy to say that, you know, over the past 20 years of our existence, you know, we've always grown every single year, you know, despite, you know, having been through two recessions. Um, and it's just, you know, when, when, when you continue to, uh, you know, deliver value for 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 your customers, then then they see it, and uh, um, you know we we are able to you know get into newer industries, to you know even upsell to our existing customers. I mean, a lot of our revenue actually also comes from upselling. You know, our customers tend to be larger companies, so perhaps you know we've sold to one division, and then another division comes across, another geography for the company comes along. So we've been able to you know constantly. Uh, grow not just our product footprint, but also our, our customer footprint as we continue to invest. I mean, we are, you know, uh, a software company, um, you know, run by engineers, not marketers, if you will. So, um, if you engineer new, if you if you engineer good products and um, and and show value, then you know, customers will you know it, the customers will come your way. You know, that's that's interesting because you have obviously the. A school of thought of you uh, sell it and then you figure out how to build it and to deliver. And then from what I hear, it seems it was more you build it, you build something great and something that people, you know, would like to use and then they're going to come. So interesting. So would you mind, you know, expanding a little bit more on that, Sanjay? 
Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, as we were bootstrapped, I think it was important I realized that having, and and because we are not spending as much uh, on sales and marketing, it is important that we, you know, strike a partnership with a very large player, right, that can give you a tremendous amount of reach into the marketplace globally. And SAP was a natural partner for us, right, because, uh, you know, they have thousands and thousands of feet on the street. Um, so. You know, SAP was, we, we, you know, I believe that if you engineer great products, right, and then um, kind of, you know, a dovetail or piggyback on, on top of a, a, a huge, very successful, you know, go-to-market organization like SAP has globally, then that could be the recipe for success. And, and so because it was bootstrapped, because we felt we had a, we had a, we had a very well-engineered product, decided to, uh, you know, get into a strategic partnership with SAP to help take it to market. Uh, and that has and that has served us well, right? That, that really has helped us grow because, you know, we started out with SAP North America first and then slowly over the years expanded to other regions of the globe. Um, and so fast forward to today, you know, we ourselves have, uh, you know, people all over the globe, Vistex employees all over the globe uh, and selling in virtually every geography. Brazil, uh, you know, South Africa, all countries in Western Europe, Asia, etc. Because how many employees do you guys have today, Sanjay? A little over 1,600. Wow, that's a quite a significant amount of employees. So, what have you learned about yourself as a leader? Uh, um, what have I learned about myself through this? You know, as 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 I have, uh, you know, grown. Uh, both personally and professionally, there are a couple of important lessons. One is, uh, I think I have learned to be a better listener. Um, I think uh, earlier on, I, I, I thought I, I knew how everything was supposed to work, and I had the, uh, you know, the uh, the recipe and the solutions to all of uh, a company's uh, problems. But but I quickly realized that um, you know, uh, confidence is good. Overconfidence is not so good. Uh, it's important to to stay grounded and and be a good listener. So I think I've become a good listener over the years. And just to to expand on the listening, just uh, before we go to the second one, on the listening, how do you, for example, like with employees or when you're going out of fundraise, what is the process of really first intaking the information and then you know being able to digest and then react you know proactively you know about it. Yeah. So I mean, again, I think you know we have a we have a very democratic process. We are a very a relatively a very flat organization. So um, um, you know, it's a um, uh, it's 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 a I'd like to describe it as 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 a bit chaotic, but a very functional democracy. And when we say we listen, I mean you know listening not just to our employees who, who are the closest to our customers and have the best product ideas, but also to our customers, right? Um, you know. Yeah, we go in as explorers, not as conquerors, if you will. You know, because we know that uh, you know input is uh, you know the right the right kind of input is very critical to the engineering of a product. Of course. So then let's continue. So what was the next thing that you've learned? I think the next thing I've learned is that uh, is uh, is always uh, to uh, is to learn to learn. Right? Is that there is so much out there, and there is so much you can. Um, uh, I think you can never uh, rest easy and say, I think I've learned what I need to learn. 
to be to be able to be to be able to be successful right is you always have to have a continuous learning mindset i think sometimes especially when when entrepreneurs reach a, a certain you know level of success they feel that uh, you know they they they've, they've they've mastered their their domain or you know they they know what they need to do and i i believe that uh, if anything you you know should know that you should always learn to learn and uh, you know that's something that uh, i believe has served me well as well that uh, i i always uh, wake up every day uh, worrying about what is it that i need to learn more right and not uh, bask in the success of what i have learned and what i've achieved so for example in this case i mean you guys were bootstrapping obviously one step in the in the wrong direction can be fatal so in your case, you know, and, and, and in your journey, because entrepreneurship is not such thing as a straight line, what would you say has been the, the most, uh, uh, you know, out of this journey, the, the bumpiest, you know, part of it? And, and how did you, you know, uh, get back up and, and keep running, you know, as a, I would say breakthrough from, from the breakdown of whatever dark days that you were dealing with? Walk us through some of those days. What, what did you experience? What was that? Right. I think, uh, you know, the, the biggest bump in, in the journey has been, uh, you know, this whole cloud revolution, right? That customers no longer want to to buy software and then run it uh, themselves. Um, you know, in, 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 in their IT shops, uh, they basically want to outsource everything and just consume a service. And so that has been, you know, the biggest bump. I think the industry pivoted that way about, uh, you know, somewhere between... Uh, Depending on your perspective, uh, you know, five to seven years ago, and the entire industry has pivoted towards software as a service, and I think that has been a bit of a challenge for us, right? Having built a business on licensing software and you know all the, uh, the follow-on revenue that comes as a result of that, uh, you know, has been a, has been a bit of a bump for us. But uh, you know, we are trying to develop a, a, a what I call a hybrid model here, which is but there, there, there always is some business to be had with on-prem software, but, uh, you know, we're also getting more aggressive and investing heavily to grow our business in the cloud, as they say, right? To sell our software as a subscription. So then why, for example, like you brought this up to like uh, $250 million in revenue without taking any type of, of, right. of investors. So why did you decide to all of a sudden bring, bring you know, outsiders into the mix? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. So like, like I explained, right, uh, you know, uh, this whole cloud revolution that, uh, you know, we, we feel that we are a little bit behind in this regard in terms of, uh, you know, being out there and be perceived more as a company that can do equally well with our cloud offerings. And we felt that we needed to bring in some external expertise to help us grow the, um, you know, the, the, the subscription part of our business. And, uh, you know, we were looking uh, for a partner that wouldn't, uh, that, that has the chops, right? That has, has the history and the, and the um, you know, uh, the, the stripes to help us with our um, cloud journey. And so, and we, and we found a great partner in, in Excel KKR. You know, they've been around for many years, a very notable firm in the, in, in the Valley um, and a lot of successes to, to their name. And, you know, they would help us uh, build and scale our cloud business and yet be comfortable being a minority investor. So I really wanted to give, I didn't want to give up uh, much equity. I wanted to give up a, a very small portion of it. 
uh, while drawing on their expertise. So the you know with all this the, the list was pretty small, and um, you know we found a great partner with who we signed up with. Because what were what were some of the things or the key ingredients that you were looking for in a partner? Yeah, you know, it was it wasn't the the money or the capital. Of course, you know that's important because it establishes a benchmark of sorts, um, but also to provide us with the expertise that we need. Right? Uh, how do you build and scale a cloud business? What type of selling skills do you need? You know, what type of uh, you know product features and functions you need in order to be successful in the cloud? Right? What kind of teams do you need? Uh, what kind of marketing do you need to uh, to be able to sell effectively? Right? The whole business paradigm has changed like i described and and, and that's what helped um, us make the make 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 the call with the partner we chose so this was a private equity um, financing so Correct. what you know there's a lot of people that are on the line you know that are you know thinking about venture capital and angels and private equity i mean there's a different sources of really get money in so so what is, you know, private equity? Like, how would you, let's say, uh, differentiate, let's say, like a private equity uh, a profile from, you know, the venture capital that perhaps the earlier stage, you know, guys that are listening, you know, are probably looking at? Yeah. So I think, you know, the the, the venture guys uh, would probably come on in, in the very, very early stages, maybe in, in years, uh, you know, zero, zero to five, I would say, uh, with the average being two, two and a half. Um, different proposition, private equity being a different proposition is, you know, they, they try to go after, you know, high potential, high growth, the mature organizations, uh, and we kind of fit the bill on, on, on that front. Um, I think private equity can, can, can offer, uh, you know, a lot of operational expertise and a lot of go to market expertise. Uh, you know, once you have built a platform already is how do you accelerate growth? Versus venture capital is, uh, hey, do you believe in my potential? Do you believe that uh, I'm working on something that, you know, has uh, has a great potential? So versus private equity, which is, um, you know, more how do you how do you help accelerate growth? Which is which is really was was more our case. So what what have you learned about growth then, Sanjay? What have I learned about growth? Um, growth is hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least, uh, you know, um, you have these ideas and visions of growth and then there is reality. So um, uh, unless you are exceptionally fortunate, um, but, uh, you know, there is uh, there are a lot of players out there. Customers are getting smarter. Um, and so uh, uh, especially in enterprise software, right, which is where we play um, that, um, you know, the number of players have increased. And uh, the customers' uh, buying skills have uh, increased, uh, you know, tremendously. Where you cannot just, uh, you know, shove things down their throat, um, and 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 hope that they use it, right? It's uh, they're 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 very um, skilled these days in terms of, uh, you know, how they decide what to buy. And in terms of of enterprise sales, there, uh, Sanjay, that you were alluding to, what? What are your biggest takeaways from from enterprise sales? Because it's it's kind of a beast. I mean, in many instances, it's like a twenty four month sales cycle. So I mean, it's it's long. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think enterprise sales requires a lot of persistence and uh, a lot of fortitude, right? To to kind of stay in the race for the longer term. These are not 
quick sales, right? There's a lot of, especially the larger the organization that, that you sell to, you know, uh, the more durable and the more persistent you need to be. And you need a professional uh, sales uh, help, right? Uh, an entrepreneur themselves can't say, yeah, you know, I'm also going to double duty and uh, be able to sell into, in, into, into the enterprise. I mean, that is, that is more than a full-time job in and of itself. Uh, just just navigating the politics and you know creating and developing the value etc. So we we were lucky that in our initial years, our go to market partner was SAP and uh, you know software was enterprise software was relatively nascent and you know SAP was selling hand over fist and um, you know we consider ourselves uh, fortunate in having been able to you know ride some of that. But the reality now is different. Um, is uh, you know, you need a lot of focus and, and dedication and, and a lot of persistence, right? You need, a, you need a lot of patience as well when you're selling into the enterprise. All right, Sanjay. So there's always a, a question that I ask the guests that we have on the show. And that is that knowing what you know now, if you had the opportunity to go back and, and give yourself a piece of advice to, to that younger Sanjay that is a, about to launch the business, what would, what would that piece of advice be before launching a business and why that you would give to yourself? I think the advice I would give to my, to my younger self is uh, don't follow any advice (laughs) (laughs) because, uh, you know, be a good listener, listen to what everybody has to say, but everybody's journey is so unique and everybody's circumstances are unique. And I think you have to be, uh, you know, your own advisor and your own decision maker, but you should seek input and feedback from everybody. There is no one path to success. There are many paths to progress and, and, and success, right? So what worked for one person may not necessarily work for you. Um, and uh, you should, uh, you know, necessarily follow somebody's footsteps, right? But just take inspiration and then, uh, you know, chart your own path. So, um, you know, while, you know while in, in my early days, I used to be confused about, oh, person A says I should, should do this and person B says I should do this. And maybe I, I trust A more than B, so I should do what A said. No, I think. You know, I would perhaps it should be, you know, neither what A and B said, and I should do what what Sanjay said. You know, should um, uh, would would work better. So, my advice is don't follow any advice. Very cool. So, what what does the uh, future look like for Vistix? Um, the future is uh, is is more of everything, right? We want uh, more growth, uh, more customers, um, you know, a larger solution footprint. I think uh, we've just begun to scratch the surface of uh, how our products and solutions can end, can help customers and help our customers, uh, you know, succeed even more. Um, so our, our focus is how can we help our customers um, succeed uh, even more with, uh, you know, with their services and offer, uh, products and offerings. So, you know, that, that, that's our vision. Very cool. And for the people that are listening, Sanjay, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Um, LinkedIn. Wonderful. And are you on Twitter or any 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 other you know platform? Uh, no, I'm I'm not. But uh, you know, I, I I plan to soon. I'm not a big uh, social media <laughs> um, citizen, if you will, <laughs> but. Uh, from time to time, I will I will check LinkedIn. Wonderful. All righty. Well, Sanjay, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. Okay. Thank you, Alejandro. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value 
either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to AlejandroCremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.